As a business owner, what you want is to empower your people to make decisions about the business consistent with how you think about the business. Because if you don't empower your people, you become the bottleneck. Every decision has to run through you, and that slows the growth of the firm, the organization. What if you could step out of the day-to-day and see your business from a whole new perspective? Welcome to Above the Business, where we empower you to rise above the daily grind and embrace a higher way of business ownership. Get ready to build your business by design. Welcome to another episode of the Above the Business podcast. My name is Bradley Hamner, your host. On today's episode, we have Doug Lenick and Chuck Wachendorfer. They wrote the book, Don't Wait for Someone Else to Fix It, subtitle Eight Essentials to Enhance Your Leadership Impact at Work, Home, and Anywhere Else That Needs You. I really enjoyed the back and forth conversation with these guys. We ended up talking a lot around emotional decision making and really not even just emotional decision making, decision making in general on this episode. I think you're going to get a ton out of it. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Doug and Chuck. Ambition is the first step towards success. It's time to level up your agency. And Coach P Consulting will help you do just that by using the same strategies he used to sell over 700 life insurance policies in 2021 alone. Now, this is not your regular one and done type coaching. You'll get personalized coaching two days a week, every week of the month, and you'll get a live look behind the scenes of his team training and an office that's performing at the highest level. There's a reason Coach P Consulting is the fastest growing coaching company for insurance agency owners in the country. Coach P will train your team alongside his own and show you the exact steps they're taking to achieve Chairman Circle, Exotic Travel, and Multi-Line Presence Club and be one of the few agents to be selected to have a third office. So whether your goal is to be at the top of your local market or amongst the best in the country, this training will give you the strategies and the tactics to get there. For just $250 a month, you'll get high-level coaching each week from someone who is already getting it done at that level, and his strategies work, and it's time to put them to work for you. Sign up at coachpconsulting.com and get your first full month for free when you mention the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Chuck and Doug, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Bradley. Great to be here. Great to have you. Well, we love to start with background and origin story. I love to hear the journey about how people got to where they are. Chuck, I'll start with you. Why don't you share a little bit about your journey and background? Absolutely. I'm actually on my third career. So I started as an engineer at a college. My dad was a mechanical engineer. So I thought following his footsteps, I'd be able to generate a great living. I was good at math. And sadly, after about six months or a year out of college and had secured a very good engineering job, I realized I hated engineering. So (laughs) that left me with a choice in life at 23 or 24 years old. Do I go back to school, get an MBA? Do I get a law degree? Do I get another engineering job? But about that same time, American Express was hiring financial advisors. And since I was good at math and I enjoyed having money, I thought I might be good as a financial advisor. And so I started at 24 years old, helping other people manage their money plan for their future. And it was a tremendous learning experience, not just about what people do with their money, but how to invest, learning from the mistakes people have made over their lives. And that was a career that I did for about 17 years at American Express. That's where Doug and I met, probably 35, 40 years ago almost now. I ended up running regions of financial services for American Express. 
And then I found myself at another career crossroads about 20 years ago where I didn't want to raise my kids in the city that I was living in. I didn't want my boss's job. I had plenty of money and I needed some time to figure out what else I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And so that gave me a chance to take a couple of years off. During that time, Doug and I were talking about the company he was founding, which is now Think to Perform. And uh, Think to Perform allowed me to do what I do best, which is developing people. Bill, I enjoy building a company. I'm a builder by nature. I'm not good with maintenance. I like creating things, I like building things. And so I joined Doug about 2004 and have been with him for 20 years uh, next June and building this fantastic organization we call Think to Perform. Uh, that's great. I agree with you on the building. I love the process of building and creating things. I totally agree with you. Doug, love to hear your journey. Well, yeah, I, that was, I enjoyed hearing the, a little piece of what Chuck just said I hadn't heard before. So I enjoyed hearing that part of it. But he and I both started, actually, we joined what is now Ameriprise Financial. We were both advisors at a time when that itself was an entrepreneurial job. I mean, you took all the risk. The company didn't pay you to work. You paid to be there in essence. And so we were entrepreneurial. And I've always been an entrepreneur. 50 years ago, literally 50 years ago this month, I started my training with what is now Ameriprise. But I also had started a year earlier a company that was located one block away from where I'm at right now, downtown Minneapolis. I was a 20-year-old guy, and we started this company, and I've started many of them since. Both Chuck and I went on to executive careers within American Express. And even during that time, I still was investing and doing other business deals. And so we decided this would be the thing to do because our interests, and Chuck and I shared the interest why we wrote the book, but we really are interested in why do people do what they do and is it possible, or isn't it possible, but is it possible that one could really be who they would ideally like to be more often? Hmm. And so we built a company helping people aim to be their ideal selves and help them be creators and builders and make a difference. That's hmm. the deal. And so that's kind of how we got here. Although we both remember not working here. It's so long ago. It seems like we've been here a long time. <laughs> we're, but it's been fun. It's, we've had a fun ride and we're really happy to be on your show. So thank you very much, Bradley. Thank and you. We work, I think, as, as you mentioned, Bradley, a lot with small and medium business owners. We understand the challenges they're up against. We've also worked with large organizations, nonprofits, athletes. And really what we're trying to do is help improve decision making under pressure. So what you can know is decision-making has twice the impact on our performance than talent and skill combined. I'm not saying talent and skill don't matter. We were just talking about football before we started the record button. But decision-making has twice the impact on performance than talent and skill combined. And unlike our IQ, which we can't improve, we can, with practice and focus and effort, become better decision-makers. And we make about 35,000 decisions a day. Most of them we don't think about. And as a business owner, what you want is to empower your people to make decisions about the business consistent with how you think about the business. Because if you don't empower your people, 
you become the bottleneck. Every decision has to run through you. And that slows the growth of the firm, the organization. And so whether it's individual decision-making or organizational decision-making, we work to align that. And what we have found out, Bradley, which is kind of really kind of an interesting thing, is we've discovered the competencies that help one make the optimal decisions tend to be emotional and moral, not cognitive and technical. So cognitive and technical competencies basically are table stakes. In order to play the game, you have to be smart and you have to be technically good. And Chuck described it really, really well. You could put it into a formula. Your people like formula. It's talent plus skills plus decision-making, as Chuck described it, equals one's level of success at an individual performance level. And by a factor of two to one, as he said, decision-making matters most. And the competencies are emotional and moral. Can I do the right thing really well under pressure? Which is what Chuck said. Can I do the right thing really well? I can cheat. That's not a sustainable proposition. That might be a good short-term solution to get an A on this test. But long-term, it might might not be that good if I actually need to know the material. (laughs) So cheating maybe isn't a good idea. So we try to rule that out. So we got integrity. You got to throw that in there. So we try to encourage people to aim to be their ideal selves. In fact, that's our first essential of the eight essentials. That's the first one. And if you're successful, if Bradley Hamner can be the best Bradley he can be, unless you're a sociopath, you're going to be a hell of a contributor to society. And we know that. So if you can aim and hit your ideal self, you will be a difference maker. And I'm sure you're pretty dang close already. I'm sure you're a difference maker now. So I'm guessing you're ideal pretty often. Help separate from me, Chuck, this one thing. Is decision-making, though, something that I develop as a skill along the way? Yes. And it's also something you can teach. And so what we have in the book are kind of eight essentials, we call them. And you don't have to, by the way, use all eight essentials to see a difference in your life or your organization. Mm -hmm. But back to what we were talking about as a business owner, in order to align decision-making, in order to help people think like I do about the business, they have to know a few things. They have to know where the business is headed. That's vision. They have to know what the business stands for. Those are values. They have to be able to manage themselves, as Doug is suggesting, emotionally. And we can get better at all those things. And by the way, it's not about being perfect. None of us is perfect. But it is, can we get a little bit better every day? And that's what we teach in the eight essentials. The eight essentials, you know, the book, Don't Wait for Somebody Else to Fix It, is a toolkit. It's a book meant to be used. It's a workbook. We give exercises that help people demonstrate and use and apply those eight essentials. One of them is notion of improving decision-making, but in order to be a better decision-maker, I got to know where I'm going and I got to manage myself well. A lot of times what we find in our work at Think to Perform is people think about leadership as me influencing a group of people, which is true. Leadership is about influence. But leadership begins with self-leadership. It's me managing myself better because it's the only person's behavior I can control. And the better job I do at controlling my own behavior, 
the more influence I have with other people. So you think about people in our own lives who don't have great relationships, aren't effective with other people. Usually it's because they lack self-awareness. And so we teach an exercise to improve self-awareness. And you can compare, like, as Doug is saying, how am I really, like right now, and how do I want to be ideally? Mm-hmm. And sometimes I notice how I really fall short of who I hope to be ideally. You were talking about Bradley going to the Auburn, Alabama football game. There's a different guy that shows up at that game than shows up almost every other day because of your passion for the game. And so you explain to your son, as an example, I might not be my ideal self for a couple hours. (laughs) And the reality is that's true for all of us. Nobody's ideal all the time. But a lot of people don't know when they aren't. See, the difference that it all starts with self-awareness. So Chuck has alluded to, and and I'll add to it, it just, just say what Chuck said again, but he talked about relationship effectiveness or leadership effectiveness. Relationship, leadership, effectiveness. How effective I am at relating to Chuck is largely a function of how effective I am at managing me. If I don't manage me very well, I don't relate to Chuck very well. Now, how well I manage me has everything to do with how I make decisions. Yeah. You know, yeah. So how effective I am at managing myself in the presence of stress and pressure and difficult decisions, it's tough. I want to admit that, and I've shared different times, whether it's through a solo episode or on here, that I can look back on some of the decisions, some of the really poor decisions that I made. Those decisions that I made were always made from an emotional state, always. True, true for all of us. I'm not saying that I haven't made logical decisions that ended up being not the right move to make. Okay, yes, I have. That doesn't mean I'm perfect in every decision I make and everything works out. No, but some of the biggest mistakes that I've made in business, I can trace back to being emotional in the moment. Now, here is one part of this that I'd love, Doug, for me that I can look back on is when I hear emotions, initially, I would always think angry, frustrated, pissed off, things are not going the way I want them to. So there I go through a rampage through my organization. Well, yes, I did do that too. But actually, some of the worst decisions I made is when I was running emotionally high. Right. And I thought, well, man, everything that I touch is working out. So let's just double down. mm -hmm. Let's hire four people at one time when the reality is the financial said I needed to hire one. So now I'm just going to triple down and go all in. And now I just wasted $150,000 in in revenue. (laughs) I love what you just said. You're a young guy. So you, you have youth on your side. You might not remember when Alan Greenspan was chairman of the Federal Reserve, but he's famous for putting two words together to describe investor behavior at that time. This was in the 1990s. And the two words were irrational exuberance. Mm -hmm. So what you just said is when you were flying high, you made some of your most critical mistakes. And, And what we would say is, and you said it really nicely. I liked how you said it. We'll say it this way. Irrational decision doesn't always not work. It sometimes is rewarded. And rational decisions don't always work. 
But on average, over time, the data will say that rational decision making does better than irrational decision making. And we teach people how to be rational under pressure, how to make the best decision under pressure. And, And whether it's an athlete who makes a stupid decision in the fourth quarter of the football game, costing the team field position and maybe the game because they just did something unsportsmanlike at just the wrong moment that's a decision yeah might have been the most talented skill either yeah might have been the most talented skillful player on the field (laughs) yeah no i think that's actually a really good example so how do i chuck in the moment when do i need to know that what does it look like I'm emotional about a something to back myself out and then try to get my central nervous system calmed down and then be able to collect data. Now, here's the deal in a football game, which is typically different than business. I'm not saying it's always there's a lot of parallels in sports and business. Mm-hmm. Some of them don't always apply in sports. You can't just call a timeout and say, sorry, everybody got to get my emotions together before I can handle this. It's like, mm-hmm. well, I mean, you can call a timeout for 30 seconds, but I mean, the game has still got to go on. Right. And I'm a golfer. So in a major championship, it's like, you can't call a timeout and go sit for an hour and say, let me get my emotions together before I, fin- I play the back nine at Augusta, you know, or something like that. Like, you got to keep playing. Right. In business, typically that I've seen, most of those big decisions, I can remove myself emotionally from the moment without being detrimental to a team member, a partner, a customer, a client, et cetera. But yet sometimes I still feel that, man, how do I actually get control of myself to be able to make a better decision? Does that make sense, Chuck? I'm going to set you up, Chuck, once more. I'm going to set Chuck up a little bit more for this because Chuck, really did an extraordinary job. A number of years ago, Chuck and I were working together to help a company that was domestically headquartered to launch a business in India. And what he did with that group, with using this tool we call the four R's, he actually helped them understand how to build that right into the very nature of their business. So, you asked the right guy the question. I just thought I'd give him blow his horn a little bit first. There you go. Back to you, Chuck. I said, here's the difference between a football game and real life, if I can make that comparison. In the football game or any kind of a sports game, you know how many timeouts you have, right? And you know you got to call a timeout. And that's the coach's job. And the coach's job to call a timeout is when he sees her, she sees things getting hot where people are emotional and out of control the differences in life we don't always have that awareness it's when i don't pay attention to myself that my decision making behavior is most at risk so to your point about how do i get better at decision making first of all i gotta pay attention to what's going on for me we're all hardwired to be emotional first logical second all of us and when we get emotional our emotions sacrifice accuracy for speed They want us to respond very quickly and are usually wrong. Emotions aren't good or bad. It's what I do with the emotion that makes it good or bad. So it's okay to be excited. It's okay to be angry. But it would be more effective for me to say, Bradley, I'm upset right now than for me to yell at you, right? Because if I yell at somebody, the tendency is to yell back, and that's when the situation escalates. So we've all heard the expression sleep on it. When we sleep on things, 
we calm down. When we're calmer, we can think more clearly. Our emotional brain hijacks our logical brain. That's our physiology. We're all hardwired that way. So the four R's that we talk about in the book, don't wait for somebody else to fix it, which is decide wisely, is begins with recognize. What am I feeling? How am I thinking? What am I doing? Right? Because if I notice I'm getting upset, then I know my decision-making is at risk. If I notice I'm getting excited or euphoric, I know my decision-making is compromised. That leads to the second R, which is reflection. And to your point about like the game keeps moving, life keeps happening, it doesn't take long. If I can reflect on what's important to me, what I'm grateful for, who I love, change my breathing, because when I get excited, I breathe from the upper part of my chest. If I can take some deep breaths, I can oxygenate my blood and calm myself down. When I think about what's really important to my values, my goals, and when I'm calmer, and it doesn't take more than maybe 30 seconds or a couple of minutes for me to calm myself down so I could do it in a game. I got to notice I'm getting excited or I'm getting emotional to do that. When I'm calmer, after the second R, that's reflection, I can then reframe. That's the third R. Reframing is evaluating my options. So I could do option A, but I might also have option B, C, and D. And what are the trade-offs with those options? So I don't have to do something unsportsmanlike on the field. I could maybe make a better choice. I can still be upset, but not hit somebody illegally. Or I could not maybe lash out at somebody in my organization because they made a mistake. I might make that an opportunity for us to learn. So that leads to the fourth R, which is responding. So it's recognize, reframe. I'm sorry, recognize, reflect, reframe, and then finally respond, which is the decision. I love that. I love frameworks, first of all, because it takes concepts or these bigger 30,000, 40,000 foot view things and brings it down to okay, yeah, but how do I actually do that? And so having a framework like that really helps. And I want to share for people personally, I don't want to be devoid of emotion. I don't want to be. I can be a very passionate person to get people bought into the vision of what we're doing. And if I was just devoid of emotion and everything was like I was flatlined across the board, I don't want to be that. You're talking about Doug earlier, my ideal self. I can be a very passionate person. If you ever played golf with me or play basketball with me, I am absolutely going to try to beat your tail. See the Jordan jersey behind you. I am a very passionate person and I'm passionate in a business. I just don't want to make decisions from some of those places where I'm at. Like, there you go. There's the Jordans right there. Yeah. So I don't want to remove my emotions. I just want to be able to channel that in the right places. I'll tell you an honest story about this. Like, I've got some admittedly big Alabama fans and um, I got some text messages after that game uh, that were they were poking at me pretty good. And I was like, I do not need to respond to this text message right now. Like, I will fire off something that I do not need to say, and I don't want to hurt the relationship. I'm just being totally honest with you. Yeah. When you're mm -hmm. in the moment, in the stadium, there's something that gets a hold of you that I was like, I do not need to respond to this. And then let me tell you what happened. 20 minutes later, uh, maybe 15 minutes later, I get a text from my brother that says, your mom is in, I put mom in the hospital. And you're talking about in a moment reframe. That's honest to goodness. My mom is in the hospital right now. Look, she's recovering and doing fine. But it's amazing how much I flipped from perspective in the moment's notice of coming off of, you know, obviously an emotional game to like, oh my goodness, this means nothing compared to that, right? That was the and reflection so, you had, Bradley. 
right? Yeah. Put, put things in perspective. That's what we're That's talking what about. Reflection is. Yeah. And in fact, what I would say, Bradley, is you somehow have developed yourself where you're intuitively doing what we teach people to do because most people need the tool. You're using, we're di- labeling for you what you're doing. You were recognizing, you did reflect, you did reframe, and you did respond. All we're doing is moving from an unconscious competence to a conscious. Yeah. We're saying you are unconsciously competent. Now, how much better can you be at helping others when you move from unconscious competence to conscious? And that's why, since we've talked sports, why some of the great players who are unconsciously competent are not the best coaches because mm-hmm. they can't transfer that knowledge and skill to somebody else because they say, well, do it like I do it. What I do is I do this and that, and then I dunk it. No, that's yeah. a great, that's, that's great. I've read the story about Wayne Gretzky. Like, yeah, I, he was a coach for a period of time. I'm not a hockey person, but like he performed very poorly. His teams never really made it to the playoffs or anything like that. He wasn't able to transfer the way that he did things Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. ultimately being able to be a coach. I want to transition this to business, too, because obviously I think the sports analogies. But I'll share with you one that was about three months ago. One of my business partners and I were really going at it and going at it, not in a disrespectful way, but we very much disagreed on the vision and where things needed to go. We were on opposite ends of that. And I mean, it was tension. I mean, it was tension. There's no question about it. And the thing that was back in the back of my mind about this that maybe will help some other people is my dad. I caught more things from my dad than he taught me. Okay. I caught a lot from my father. But one thing he did teach me, he said, son, always prioritize the relationship. And then the back of my head, I told myself, prioritize the relationship here. Financials, money, like the business growth, et cetera, prioritize the relationship. And that kept me from saying some things in the heat of the moment that I probably would have said because I was like, Mm -hmm. well, wanting to be brutally honest. Yeah, but I didn't need to deliver it that way. And so I tried to back out of that. Chuck, thoughts on that? Yeah, we have, uh, and we talk about in the book, this what we call a goal achievement triangle. I think it's going to be particularly relevant to the point you're making. So you, you draw a triangle and on one corner, you write goals. On the second corner, you write tasks. And in the third corner, you write relationships. Mm. So it's goals, tasks, relationships. So in order to achieve our goals, we got to get stuff done. Those are tasks. But we also need the help of other people. Those are relationships. When we get stressed or under pressure, we tend to focus on tasks at the expense of relationship. What does that look like? Well, I don't have time for this right now. Can you make it fast? Can we talk about it tomorrow? You know, that kind of a thing. And it actually makes goal achievement harder. We tend under pressure to disconnect from people, close our door, isolate ourselves. And it actually makes goal achievement harder. Yeah. So what really impacts goal achievement are relationships to your point. Yeah. So I don't care what kind of business you own. The best source of any new customer or client is a referral. That is a relationship-based activity. The best source of any new employee is a referral. Right. Because you have a great relationship with your employees and they want to refer their friends and family to work here. As a business owner, you know the importance of being able to set goals, track your progress and see the results. Well, that's exactly what our partners at Today App 
Pro have been able to build just for you. Today app is corporate approved. It allows you to track activities, build custom word tracks. It allows you to calculate all your commissions and your bonus structures in a seamless fashion, and it integrates perfectly with your company CRM. Today app is truly the best office software to manage all of the day-to-day in one place. It can even manage your employees' time, track production, have a leaderboard with metrics, and has custom reporting. Visit todayapppro.com, todayapppro.com, and schedule a demo and let them know you heard about them on the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Are you an agency owner looking to grow your revenue, increase your bottom line, and better manage your taxes? Club Capital is here to help. Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agents in the country, providing monthly accounting, tax strategy, and CFO services. Way more than bookkeeping and your everyday run-of-the-mill tax prep, Club Capital is focused on providing financial and tax advisory services that help you plan and forecast your agency's performance. Their financial dashboards and agency forecasting tools help you better understand your agency's historical performance, create and measure future targets, and see how your agency compares to your peers around the country. Imagine what it would be like to understand the impact to your bottom line when deciding to hire a new employee or forecast the impact rate changes or commission rates will have on your business. With over $200 million in tracked annual revenue and $140 million in tracked annual expenses, Club Capital has the data and the team to help you make better informed decisions for your agency. They will help you turn that back office stress into the backbone of your agency's success by giving you the tools to take your agency and your leadership to the next level. Visit club.capital today to book a solution overview with one of our business consultants. Club Capital, way more than a CPA firm. So. I was trying to think through some situations where people, because I think it's super important. I think that this doesn't get talked about enough about how to deal with these situations. So I was trying to think about a situation to where something really rubs me the wrong way that I have to regulate myself. And here's one of them is if somebody gives me honest feedback, right? Mm -hmm. And I want the honest feedback if it's positive. After this (laughs) podcast, if I asked Chuck and I said, Chuck and Doug, and I said, hey, Doug, Mm -hmm. I'd love for you to give me some honest feedback about how I did as a podcast host. And Chuck shares, oh, I thought this was good. thought this was good. I think, honestly, I think this can be better. I don't think that was very good. Well, that's helpful, right? But then sometimes you're like, oh, man, I don't know. That really was hard for me to navigate through. So, Doug, what I'm asking is, especially as leaders, we oftentimes don't get a lot of feedback coming upwards, right? Because we're the ones kind of pushing feedback down to our direct reports, and we say we want it, and then the team kind of gives it to us, but they're kind of like, I think I'm just going to tell him what he needs to say, what, oh, I, what yeah. he wants me to hear, right? Or For what sure. he wants to hear or what she wants to hear. I'm just going to say what they want to hear versus actually, Bradley, this really bothers us when you do this, right? And so I want to handle that well, and I want to set that stage up to handle it well. How do I do that, Doug? Well, it actually starts with the same process of the four R's. It starts with you recognizing how soliciting that feedback, how it feels to them and to you. So if we explored the first R a little bit more, we did it real fast. So that recognition R, I want to recognize how I'm feeling. I am feeling however I'm feeling about the feedback. So When I get feedback and it's honest and not positive, how does that make me feel? And if it doesn't make me, 
it heightens me feeling I'm not feeling so good right now. That moment of recognition is critical for me to understand I am not as prepared as I wished I was to receive the feedback I just asked for. <laughs> because I can already tell I didn't like, it doesn't feel good. That's recognition. Now I reflect and I do this fast and I reflect quickly and I say, truth is I need the feedback in the big picture. Feedback is what's important to me. Mm-hmm. I prefer positive feedback, but only if it's true. I don't want people making stuff up because I genuinely want to be better. So yes. then I can reframe my thinking. I was thinking this. I was thinking, yeah, I don't know so much. I like your feedback anymore, Bradley. Hmm. <laughs> you know, I liked half of your feedback. Half of what you said made a lot of sense to me. But that other half, you you missed a, a lot. Yeah. You know, that part where you were criticizing me, you just didn't even see what was happening. Yeah. You blew yeah. it. So if I can reframe now and say, no, I'm going to change my mind. The classic reframe. We talk about reframing. Winnie the Pooh, I was decided to change his his mind so he wouldn't have to change his shirt. That's what I'm doing. I'm reframing and then I respond. So that's how I handle it. The second part of the recognition, though, is to recognize what the other person is experiencing. Hmm. That's called empathy. So when our, our fourth essential is embrace empathy and compassion. Empathy is understanding somebody else. Mm. Compassion is doing something about it. Compassion is empathy in action, much like service is gratitude in action. If you're grateful, then do be of service to somebody, and that's a way to show your gratitude. As opposed, it's nice to say thank you. It's nice to be empathetic. I feel bad for you, Bradley. I'm not going to do anything. I I hope somebody else does. I'm going to wait for somebody else to fix it. That's why we wrote the book. We said, hey. <laughs> if I actually care about you, maybe I could do something. So that's that second part of the recognition. And then the third part of the recognition is what's making us feel the way we're feeling. What's making Bradley feel the way he feels and Chuck and Doug? What? Because there's three of us in this conversation and all three of us have our own experience going. Mm-hmm. And the better each of us gets at paying attention to us, ourselves, and what we want out of this experience and this connection, the better off we will be at handling the emotions that come our way. And we will even accept and handle well the ones that don't feel good to us. We have to recognize it doesn't always feel good to get criticized. I don't like it personally. You know, <laughs> one, Chuck, that I was thinking about that I think makes sense, but it gets hard is if I unnecessarily receive, and this would be relevant for a lot of our audiences, insurance agency owners, I receive a a negative Google review and the customer was absolutely out of line and they write a nasty one-star review and they're wrong in everything that they say. And it's hard for me to be able to show empathy to that and see it from their perspective when if it's like, that's a one-sided thing. And it's hard not to emotionally respond to that in the moment and say, well, let me tell you what, obviously that's not the right thing to do, but that's an example of like, I don't want to have to rewrite that 
Uh, yeah, the opportunity yeah. that we're talking about here, Bradley, is to go from being emotionally reflexive to becoming emotionally reflective. So I notice how I'm feeling instead of me just reacting to how I'm feeling. So I get a negative comment online about my business. Emotionally reflexive, if I act on that reflex, it might be to rip the person a new one. But that's probably not the best choice. So I have to become emotionally reflective, which is notice that I'm getting upset. Think about what's the outcome I want to create here. We all have a choice. We can either be right or be effective. And oftentimes when we're getting frustrated or when we're reading somebody the right act, it's because we're trying to be right. And it doesn't always mean we're effective. Yeah. And that's where it gets back to what you were saying earlier about the relationship. I need to be honest. I don't want to distort reality, but I don't need to tear somebody down to do that. Yeah, that's such a good point. I'll mention this guy on here because he puts himself out there to give people understanding. His name came up earlier when I was talking to somebody, but like Grant Cardone, he's a big personality. Some people listen to this podcast. May You may love Grant. You may absolutely not love Grant. He is a very polarizing figure. Mm-hmm. He has very polarizing views on a lot of things, which obviously he's got a huge following. I'm not here to give my opinion on that. But what I am going to give my opinion on is one thing is he absolutely went online and ripped somebody publicly who given some had gave him some criticism. And when I saw that, I thought, I don't think that that actually built his built him up anymore. Like to your point, he might have been right but he wasn't necessarily effective in that moment, right? That to me, the right versus effective was like, yeah, he might've been right because he was making his point, but the way he went about it was not necessarily effective. Now, does he care what my opinion is? Oh, clearly he does not care. Maybe what not. Opinion, yeah, right. Right. He doesn't. But I thought that that was relevant to that, to say that went way beyond what it actually needed to be. And this is somebody who catches a lot of criticism and hate. I mean, obviously, I'm criticizing him for the way he handled that, admittedly. But that was one of those things where it's like, was he right? Probably. Was he effective? I don't think so, personally. I think just to continue on your point, Bradley, is listening does not mean I have to agree. So I, I want to listen to you. I want to understand what's going on for you. I want to understand why you wrote that comment. How could we do better? You may give me some feedback that I don't agree with. And I don't necessarily need to say that, but I want to listen and really listen to understand where you're coming from, as opposed to listening to defend my point of view. That's a good point. Yeah. You know, and that's hard to do. I have to be really present and self-aware to not get defensive and just listen. As Doug was saying, empathy doesn't mean I feel what you feel. Empathy is I recognize how you're feeling. So you sound frustrated. You look upset. Tell me more about that. Because then I have the opportunity to understand and maybe help you get unstuck. And a lot of times what leaders, one of the probably the most misunderstood concepts is this concept of empathy. Empathy is not letting people off the hook. Empathy is about understanding why they're stuck, what's getting in their way, so I can help them get unstuck. That's why empathy is so important. You mentioned brutal honesty earlier, Bradley, which is a common term that people really like that Jim Collins popularized, and it allows people to feel better about being brutal. We approach it differently. We say there's nothing that requires you to be brutal. You could be compassionately honest. You could be brutally honest, but people enjoy being brutal. 
sometimes. So I prefer being brutally honest. Well, it's not as effective. I'm just as right as I was when I was compassionate, but I'm way less effective. Brutal honesty is less effective than compassionate honesty if you actually want the other person to kind of make a switch. It's it's that old saying, beatings will continue until morale improves. I mean, I can beat you until you smile, but as soon as I leave the room, you're going to quit smiling and you're going to curse me. So the idea of being brutally honest is overrated. I've never heard that before. I've never had somebody say that, but I would agree with that. I had a friend who was way outside business share with me some things that he delivered in a way of complete honesty and transparency to me about some things that he had that from literally 10 years ago in our friendship. This is one of my best friends growing up. And I didn't know he had been holding that. And he shared that with me and said, hey, this situation to me, I don't even remember it. Don't even remember that Mm -hmm. situation. But I was dismissive in the moment to him and that bothered him. And I appreciated so much his level of honesty, but it was through compassion. And I was able to then say, I'm really sorry for that. I can look back on that and say, now that was wrong for me as a friend to have handled that situation that way. I had no idea that I had handled it that way. And I was able to hopefully be able to express my regret from that situation. But he shared it from not from a place of brutal honesty, but from a place of compassion, honesty and said, hey, Mm -hmm. I just want you to know this had really bothered me and has bothered me for a long time. And I really need to let this go. And he shared that with me. I was like, man, thank Mm -hmm. you so much for that. But it wasn't brutal in the way of like, I'm going to beat you over the head with this. And I think that that's kind of an example of what you're sharing there, Doug, is I wanted to hear that had he handed it to me with a sledgehammer. I mean, I hope I wouldn't have responded reflectively emotionally, but the way he delivered it didn't cut corners, didn't, I mean, he just shared what it was, but he didn't do it in a, in a way that caused me to have to feel like I needed to be emotional. I got a question, Chuck, how did you guys come up with the name of the title of the book? That's one of the things I really love uh, a lot is the title. Kind of a funny story. So we were imagining this book about five or six years ago. We wanted to write a book that was a leadership book that would stand the test of time. And we didn't want to write a business leadership book. There's 1,500 business leadership books published every year. So we wanted to write a book that anybody could use anywhere to improve their lives, the lives of those around them. So Doug has written several books with the word intelligence in it. He wrote Moral Intelligence in 2005. He wrote uh, Financial Intelligence in probably 2009 or 10. And so we were thinking about leadership intelligence. And as we were shopping for publishers, the first publisher we talked to was having a conversation. And he said, I really don't get the whole leadership intelligence title, but it sounds like don't wait for somebody else to fix it. And the publisher ended up turning us down, but we loved what he suggested to us. And that became the title. And so Wiley, our our publisher, loved the title, but it wasn't something we came up with. Well, and we have to also, in fairness to Wiley, we have to say that Wiley actually had first, we were like conditional free agents. Wiley had first right of refusal on our book. So Wiley wanted the book anyway. So even if the other publisher said we wanted to do it, if Wiley wanted the book, they got it. And we're happy to work with Wiley. But 
Wiley didn't come up with the name. They like it. So mm -hmm. Chuck and I were, we got a good laugh out of that conversation. And we do appreciate, we won't mention the publisher, but we do say thank you. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it's a yeah, good title. Yeah, no, I, I do love it. Well, this has been a great conversation. I know people are going to want to connect with you guys, but before we close out, name of the podcast is Above the Business. Chuck, what does working above the business look like for you? It's a great question. I think about it like reimagining the business. We all get stuck in a rut from time to time. And one of our uh, Doug and I's mentors has a saying that everybody wants to be in a groove, but nobody wants to be in a rut. And wisdom is knowing the difference. And so when I, I'm above the business, I'm reimagining the business. I'm thinking about where I want the business to go. What's the direction for the business? And that then drives my decisions and behavior when I work on the business or in the business. That's good. I love the groove versus a rut analogy. That's really good. I've never heard that one before. Doug, what does above the business look like to you? I would just simply say above the business to me really is... It's kind of one of the things that I say all the time is the purpose of business is no more to make money than the purpose of life is to breathe. So what difference are we trying to make here? And that gets into the reimagination that Chuck talks about, because we're going to have to continually reinvent ourselves to continue to make a difference. And so above the business to me really is about why are we here? We genuinely, as authors and as executives at Think to Perform, we genuinely want to enhance the world through improving the decision-making and the performance of the individuals and organizations we touch. That's our vision. And everything that we can do to contribute to that is above the business, and then it becomes on the business, and then it becomes in the business. And it's that capability to stay evergreen, which is not easy, because it's really easy to get in the rut, because we do things that work. And then we just do it again and again and again. And then pretty soon the rut becomes a groove. Mm. So thanks, Jeff Stiefler is our mentor who said that. So we'll give him a little shout out. Thank you, Jeff. Doug, people want to pick up the book and connect with you all, where would you point them to? I would say our website is thinktoperform.com. It's the number two, the word thinktoperform.com. We teach people to e-think motion <laughs> so that they don't just moat. So go there. And then I would go to your favorite bookstore or online and order the book. I really would encourage you to get the book and use the book. The book is meant to be a workbook, a book you actually use. It's a tool book. And as Chuck said earlier, just open it up and use it. And if anybody wants, they can reach out to us. Our emails are easy. It's our first initial last name at thinktoperform.com. So if anybody wants me, they can yeah, reach me. Noble, Chuck. Amazon, Porchlight, online retailers will carry that book. Awesome. Guys, really enjoyed the conversation and uh, love to have you back on in the future. Anytime, Thank you, Bradley. Bradley. Thanks for having us. I think I have a personal preference for whenever I walk out of an episode with some sort of a framework or something that I can take an idea and then what do I do with that? You ever had that feeling? Well, this one, I really like the framework of the four R's. Recognize, reflection, reframe, and then responding. Look, the episode ended up 
speaking a lot about, and of course we pull in a lot of sports analogies in to how do you make decisions in the right way about not being as emotional in making those decisions. And I think that that was worth us kind of coming at it and spending as much time on it as, as we do, because look, yes, I've shared with on the episode myself kind of vulnerably about the times that I've been emotionally high, emotionally low and made decisions. But I've also heard more importantly from a lot of clients that I work with and other people who they similarly have faced this. They're frustrated with an experience of a customer and they take it out on their team. They're frustrated with lack of production when they get the numbers and the revenue numbers from last month and their profitability is not where it needs to be and things aren't just moving forward and they're looking at the scoreboards uh, that they have in their business if they have some and they're just frustrated. And a lot of times we can be really good firefighters, but man, we can be better arsonists at times in our business. And I think like emotional decision-making is kind of a part of that. And I don't want in any way just say that, oh, I've got that licked. But I do think that I have been able to learn really through a lot of pain about stepping away from some of those emotional decisions and being able to get some perspective, being able to recognize how I'm feeling, have some reflection reframe it, and then be able to respond appropriately. Now, I certainly didn't have that four R's, but I do think that that is really helpful for me because, again, I've learned I don't make very good decisions when I'm making emotional decisions, either high or low. And at the same time, I don't want to be just completely bland. I don't want to be like flatlined to where there's no emotion. I don't think the team would buy into that energy. I mean, if I was talking very like, you know, that was good podcast. I mean, even just me saying that would not be positive energy on this podcast. And yet I don't want to be completely bouncing off the walls because that would be annoying to listen to. I would be annoyed if I was listening to somebody on a podcast like that. So I do think that that was a big part of our episode today. I also think that a couple of the one-liners that I think Chuck said really resonated with me as well. Compassion is empathy in action. Do I want to be right or do I want to be effective? And I was telling the story about Grant and maybe some of you disagree with me and that's okay. That mean, that's how I happen to see that situation. And some of the stuff Grant puts, I think he has certainly a unique way of approaching certain things. He can be at times a, a bull in a china shop, but he is uniquely himself. I will give him absolute credit for that. And that is definitely one thing I do admire about somebody like that is that he is him whether you like it or not. And that's fair. And so I hope that even for myself, that I come across as genuine and authentic to all of you about here's some things that are working, here are some thoughts, here are some things that have not worked for me, and just do it in a way that I'm learning and I'm sharing. And that's really what I personally want my life to be about, is just to be able to learn and to be able to share some of these things and to tell stories from my, either myself or from some of the clients that I've been able to work with. So Really enjoyed having them on. Go to think to the number two, think to perform.com. Pick up the book. Don't wait for someone else to fix it. At the time this episode drops, we are just finished up our very first annual, the first event in the event series we're going to be running in 2024 under the above the business brand. So if you want to be kind of in the loop about the future events, in fact, we're doing one of the very first part 
of 2024 as well. So if you missed the annual, then certainly go to abovethebusiness.co and keep up with all the happenings that we have. We'll certainly try to do a good job of keeping you up to date about some of the events and even not only the events, but why are we doing the events? I mean, the events are set not to be just random, but a specific, they're there for a specific reason and a very specific, very clear outcome. We're not doing events just to do events because it's a good idea. There's a certain rhythm, a structure that's in place. And so if you want to keep up with what we're doing on some of the events, get on our newsletter, go to abovethebusiness.co, abovethebusiness.co. Appreciate our podcast sponsors, Coach P. Go to coachpconsulting.com, autopilot recruiting, autopilotrecruiting.com. Of course, Club Capital, go to club.capital. We really work with some of the best of the best vendors that are out there, whether it's been Today App, Autopilot, Coach P, Club Capital. They're really the best at what it is that they do. We don't just go out randomly to try to find sponsors just to have a sponsor. We really want to be able to work with people that we know that they do an exceptional job of serving and advancing our mission to be able to help build better business owners, but really specifically help you to be able to build your business by design and not by default. So you want help in recruiting, finding A players, having better pipeline of people coming into your organization, go to autopilotrecruiting.com. And then if you want some help for you and specifically your team, if you're an insurance agency owner, go to Coach P Consulting. They do twice a week calls, be able to help teach scripts and what's working and even some mindset things specifically in your insurance agency. Dave and his team do an exceptional job. Go to coachpconsulting.com. If you have heard me talk about using financials, and even like this episode is kind of an example of this, being able to not make emotional decisions with your money really comes with having really great tools, having somebody that's a partner, having perspective. What are other people doing? I mean, how much should I invest in marketing? What about my team? What about building costs? What about all of these things? Pub Capital can give you that. I mean, they can really give you data and insight that you just can't get, even if you love your accountant, okay? And you play golf with them or you know, you run with them, whatever. They're just not going to have the insight that Club Capital has to be able to help you to be able to make great decisions. So go to club.capital book a no obligation demo with somebody on their team and find out how they can take that back office and really make it a strategic decision-making partner for you in your business. Art of one. This was a good episode. Till next time, lead well.